Welcome to Between the Covers, the show for readers and writers and lovers of books. I'm Stephanie, and I'm a publisher at Red Penguin Books, where we publish books of all types and genres. So whether you have a book in your head, 300 of sheets of loose leaf in a drawer, and yes, at least once a month, I do get an envelope filled with loose leaf, or maybe a book you haven't even started yet, just visit us at redpenguinbooks.com and unleash your inner author. I am so excited today to be joined by three authors who have definitely unleashed themselves. Our first author today is going to be Gerald Everett Jones. Uh, some of you may recognize Mr. Jones. He's been on our show before, and he's here with his upcoming book. We're getting a sneak preview on Preacher Stall's The Second Coming. Also, you'll meet Marilee Kaufman, the author of Valleys and Mountains, Navigating. It's quite a lovely memoir. And then finally, Richard Sparks is here with New Rock, New Roll, when the game of gaming world meets epic fantasy. But first, we're going to meet Gerald Everett Jones, and he writes that this book is the most controversial Preacher Wyclef mystery yet. It's the fourth in the multiple award-winning mystery series. A crazed scientist knocks on Evan's door with a bizarre warning. The deep state may be planning to fake the second coming of Christ with advanced virtual reality technology. Meanwhile, a faith-healing evangelist is luring poor and homeless people to a religious retreat with promises of ample food and then exhorting them to prepare for the end times by starving themselves to death. Evan can't ignore these unbelievable stories when a young woman from his church disappears inside the cult leader's farm. Previous novels in the Evan Wyclef series have won nine book awards, including Mystery Gold and Silver in the New York City Big Book Awards in the very same year. Please welcome author Gerald Everett Jones. Thank you so much for joining me. So glad to have you with this. Uh, yes, yes. And after, has it been two years, Stephanie, since we were together? It's been about two years. So now I know what you've been doing for the past two years. Well, and 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 you published me very generously in your anthology. Oh. of uh, that, that's, um, uh, that story was uh, Spend Time on the Rue Mouffetard, which is actually about a, a, by a, um, about a romantic comedy that was the third uh, in a in a romantic comedy series i did i it's not all mysteries but this one is the fourth in the preacher preacher evan wickless series and yeah. yes fans have been waiting two years for this oh one. my gosh they must be chomping at the bit when does it come out it comes out on march the 5th in yeah. both kindle and trade paperback and probably epub somewhere after that all that good stuff. Fantastic. Glad to hear it. March 6th, and I'm glad we have a web link. Fifth, there. March 5th. March Tuesday. 5th. Fantastic. So this is the most controversial. Tell me, your beta readers said that to you? Whoa, you're really going into... Well, it, it's, it was the most controversial by de design just because it's the convergence of some very creepy topics. Is I was doing my initial research for this uh, because all of the Preacher Evan Wycliffe series is about unlikely events that people bring to him as problems nobody else wants to solve. This is a small town in Southern Missouri. Basically basically where the series Ozark was set. That's where my ancestral home is. But I had read, and I don't really know where I came across it, but actually the CIA in the early 1960s had planned to fake the second coming of Christ. 
Really? This is reported in the Church Commission report. I did not make it up. It's public information. It's not top secret. <laughs> but they they were not so ambitious that they thought that they could do this for the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> but they were going to park a submarine off the coast of Cuba and file fire off all these spectacular fireworks and then the loudspeaker would say fidel is the antichrist <laughs> <laughs> now if you remember if you're old enough to remember none of us are except me uh if this was also the era of this plan b was the exploding cigar <laughs> so so none of this ever actually happened however i was into actually writing this book and using this as a premise, you know, virtual reality and 3D holograms and all this other stuff. And I began to, I found out there was a book published in the mid 1990s that alleges it's a conspiracy theory now, which I don't think it possibly hasn't died, that NASA and the deep state are planning this virtual reality Ooh. technology. And this is called, this has actually been given a name, Project Bluebeam. So if if Project Bluebeam happens, I warned you. Okay. I'm just <laughs> oh, the well, other aspect. I have to show, or else I wouldn't know anything going on. Well, the other aspect of this that makes it a bit chilling and and somewhat controversial is in our political discourse. There's been a lot of discussion about the potential utility of internment camps in the United States, and the. The example of what this tele, this unscrupulous televangelist, his name is Pastor Obadiah in the book, his fictional name, is that he's got a large tract of land in, in um, rural Missouri, there north of the Lake of the Ozarks, where it's really, it's something of a farming no man's land these days because it's very difficult to do a family. It used to be a family farming country, but now it's all corporate, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, but he's luring homeless and disadvantaged people there with the promises of food, and the part of the part of the tragedy of the situation is none of the politicians are complaining that the homeless people are disappearing. Ooh. Now, when I transplanted this particular story, and I won't really say where it came from, the news may the news may disclose it um, momentarily, but none of these people have been convicted yet. Uh, but when when they actually start finding bodies on this fellow's compound, because they weren't allowed to leave once mm -hmm. they got there, right. and the ones that actually had assets had to sign them over. Of course, that's how that's his engine of you know political and financial power. But when I began to translate this to the United States, I thought, well, okay, well, all of Evan's stuff happens in his backyard, so this can't happen in some third world place. This can't be Jonestown. But then I began to realize, and my first thought was, how could you do that here? I mean, you've got, you've got Google drone overflights, and you've got, you know, the feds tapping cell phones, and you know, you've got all kinds of stuff happening where it would just be impossible to keep this stuff secret. Well, the thing is that in the intelligence community, as is known worldwide, everybody understands that in in these days it's impossible to keep anything secret. You don't even try to keep it secret. What you do is you launch 20 different versions of the same story, some of which are so wacko. Oh, the Martians or UFO abductions or or or, or flying saucers coming out of the Bermuda Triangle, whatever. And so when somebody happens to happens to by chance mention the truth or an investigative reporter wants to tell you the truth, the opponents are going to point to the Martians and say, well, it's just one of those stories. Right. Okay. So 
when bot in this story, and spoiler alert, when some of the bodies are, are finally being discovered on this farm, right away you've got social media saying those are pillows and body bags. <laughs> these are people. These are and 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 the other thing is you, this unscrupulous pastor who basically has been saying the same thing that evangelists have been saying. Yes, of course, there have been evangelists accused of faith healing before. That is nothing new. It's not illegal, okay? I mean, unless you physically murder someone and there's a, a witness, but if there's no witnesses here, this guy is in a situation where he probably is going to escape prosecution. Mm. He has encouraged them through spe free speech and freedom of religion to do, to do harm to themselves Ooh. but no one is no one is willing to come forward and say he made me do it or he ordered someone to kill this person who refused to starve mm -hmm. so the analogies to our current situation should not be too difficult to <laughs> illustrate because the fear is not only is this fellow giving money to politicians to conservative politicians who want some people locked up in camps mm -hmm. but also it's possible that he will escape from these charges and he could end up in the u.s senate so definitely a book for an election year is that what we're saying <laughs> it just came out that way what can it i say just came out that way <laughs> well you know you timing your book i hope you're like pushing your uh book promotions in that vein so everyone realizes this is not just a mystery. This is a timeline. All of all of Evan's mysteries basically are about two fundamental questions. Why is there evil in the world? Mm -hmm. And why do bad things happen to good people? And of course, there's no definitive answer. But these are the things that, you know, he's got it. He's one of these amateur sleuths reluctant investigators with a curious mind it's like all these facts keep accumulating in his head you know and sooner or later they become useful and the sheriff the sheriff has run out of you know the sheriff has run out of budget it's like i, I can't i can't go, take squad cars onto that compound maybe they've got semi-automatic weapons maybe they're part of the resistance movement or something you think i'm asking for trouble right, right. but he says but evan you know you might sneak in there as a fellow preacher and maybe this guy will let down his hair and if you find anything you better bring it to me so evan evan is fortunate to be well connected in the local community but I mean, that's the other thing that's fascinating about writing about small towns is everything is gossip oh all gossip all but, gossip. but of course now that we have a global conversational community everything is gossip, <laughs> gossip yeah, and, and and it's a giant small town now, isn't it? And just as unreliable, and just as unreliable. So exactly. that's that's part of the fun. And I, I do write, I do write to surprise myself. And if I can surprise the readers, then you know that's wonderful. Well, does Evan ever surprise you with what the antics going on? I have vowed, actually, in the last several novels, I can't remember when it started, but when I wrote initially, I wrote business books to outlines. Mm-hmm. And if I departed from the outline, I got my wrist slapped. I had to, you know, do mother may I, mother may I to some, you know, irritable editor. But then my first novel, uh, which was in the other series that I wrote about in your book, uh, the, that first novel was called My Inflatable Friend, mm. which was a romantic comedy about a young fellow basically trying to get laid. And, um, you know, he had dressed up this 
the sex doll to look like a famous soap star. And that got him all, in all kinds of trouble, okay, with the tabloids. Well, the thing was that I had written that as a movie script. I have, you know, I'm here on the left coast. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, Hollywood adjacent. Why not? Yeah, exactly. You know, like Richard, I've got a, I've got a whole closet full of, of, of paper scripts that had gone around town. Well, I used that as an outline. I had an outline for that novel. But then as I got into them, I realized that if I actually trust starting from a blank page, those characters kind of go where they want to go. Yeah. And they say what they want to say. Mm -hmm. And then they surprise me. And it it wasn't until I'd done a few, especially of the Evan Wycliffe series, because there's so many twists and turns. And this this is the most complicated of all the plots, uh, clearly. But as I got into doing them, I found that I was surprising myself more and more. And I actually had a couple beta readers said saying, I really didn't know what was happening until the last page. Love that. <laughs> like, Love that. And I, I had simply trusted. I mean, I almost, I, I almost abandoned Preacher Stalls the Second Coming several times because it was so, it was so nasty in parts. Mm. Some of the things I really couldn't explain fully because it was just, it just really was too much. Okay, because and and then. But also some of it was so complex because I had to get into grand juries and I had to get into indictments and I had to get to probable cause. And I get, I had to do a lot of police procedural that I don't usually do because see, Evan's an amateur sleuth. He doesn't need to know that stuff. <laughs> but presumably my readers do. So um, I was discouraged several times, but, you know, it kind of all came together. Came so. together. And I bet you learned a lot during this one, too, didn't you? Well, I learned that I should possibly be cautious about writing the next one. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. You knew right. my next question. There are next if, if they, you know, if 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 they line me and Chris Matthews up against the wall, then maybe <laughs> maybe it's not time. <laughs> so Evan Wycliffe is, goes on, goes on. Well, Evan Wycliffe. Presumably, you know, the somebody asked me the other day the definition of writer success, and I said, well, it can't, in today's world, with a million books a year, it can't possibly be commercial success. But I said, if 100 years from now, I'm in somebody's syllabus, mm. you know, I'll look down and say, you know, not bad. I like that. that. That's a, we all, we all have different benchmarks. I always say to people jokingly, if you make it into someone's bathroom, yes. you know, Ooh. If, you know, it used to be you like won't know. you won't know. You obviously you won't know who that is. <laughs> and you know, I, I have I've given presentations to other writers, and I said, I went on historical novels, and I said, well, who who remembers the story of Moby Dick? Well, they all they all learned it, but right. it's like who can tell me the story? Well, the white whale captain. That's about the end of it. Mm -hmm. And right. I said, I submit to you that your subconscious not only knows that story, but still acts on that story. Right. And I said that, you know, a hundred years from now, if something I wrote or something you wrote is affecting somebody, there's no way anybody's going to particularly know. It's part of the Western canon of literature. And there, and that those are, as Stendhal said, those are moral lessons. People who read novels are wiser than other people, not because they're more moral, but because they see the consequences of bad behavior before they that. do it. I totally get that. Absolutely. Well, I I personally want to see what happens next, but for now, uh, everyone, you've got till March fifth, and on March fifth, you're going to grab your copy of 
Creature Stalls the Second Coming and find out what all this chatter has been about. On a completely different note, because you know how I like to shake things up, uh, Marilee Kaufman released her first book, Valleys and Mountains, Navigating a Memoir. And our author writes, have you ever traveled life's treadmill of disasters, hit valleys such as parental split and career aspirations? Then did serious diseases such as insulin-dependent diabetes and heart disease become your everyday partner? Ascending mountains, the author has achieved academic and artistic accomplishments, developed lasting friendships, and found love. Award-winning writer, poet, actress, and vocalist, Marilee Kaufman has ascended to the top, sharing a marriage of 50 years and coping with her husband's Parkinson's disease. Share the strengths of this creative woman and let her heartwarming account inspire your life. So excited to introduce first-time author, Marilee Kaufman. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. And and completely a 180 from Gerald. So this is this is great. I'm loving this. <laughs> so Merrily, wow. I, I feel like our 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 viewers know you from that introduction. But even with that, so nice to meet you. And I'm I'm gonna do a little uh, you know, kind of a, a fast getting to know you for our audience here. So we know long marriage, we know valleys, we know uh a singer, a vocalist. What what style of singing do you like to do best? Standards. Standards. Oh yes, I I'm a fan, man. Uh, so then I'll have to say, uh, Porter or Gershwin. Difficult mm -hmm. to choose. I'd say I'd say Porter, but ah. Gershwin comes close right behind him. Well, then I'm going to ask you the real words or the alternate lyrics. Because every Cole Porter song has a set of dirty lyrics that he also wrote, not for the recording, but just for his own personal use. <laughs> but I'll tell you something. There's another writer who is marvelous. He's written so many of the songs we all love. Harry Warren. He's mm. the composer. And um, so that's it. And I've sung many, many of his songs, and they are fabulous. I love them. Fantastic. Well, your 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 ace is in my book. You're you're playing my tune here. So so tell us about starting this book because very different than Gerald that you know came from kind of a businessy. Uh, I'm gonna get my wrist slapped if I you know color outside of the lines. This is really just right from the heart. So how did this all get poured out on the page? Okay. Well, you may want to know. I started writing. My English teacher in high school said I have writing talent, and he expected me maybe to be a journalist. Mm. But we went along life, various things happened, and I began writing. I started working in publicity, actually, and across the street, lunchtime, there was, I must say that I enjoyed so many things, writing and, and stuff, and, and um Across the street was a restaurant that I used to go to lunchtime, a salad bar, healthy. And I went there and I said to, oh, by the way, incidentally, I was writing for a small town publication, hmm. New York Women's Week. I wrote articles on diabetes and on Marcuside. And I went to the restaurant and I said, would you like to have a, a restaurant review? Would you like me to review your restaurant? And he said, I'd love it. I'd love it. And so I went to the restaurant, I tasted, I wrote, and I wrote my review. And 
I sent it to the publication. They published it. I was thrilled. And I, when I gave it to him and he posted it in his window and folks could see the glowing things I said, he was doubly thrilled. Oh. So that was the first. And then I said, if I could do it at this restaurant, let me try other restaurants. I see being in publicity, you have to knock on doors. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. And I got many restaurants in Manhattan with my wonderful husband, Herb. I had him join me. And we went and we ate their wonderful food and I'd write reviews. They got published. And that was the beginning of the writing story. Wow. I think, I think, Marilee, of all of the authors who've been on the show, hundreds and hundreds, you are my first that got her start writing restaurant reviews. And not just writing restaurant reviews, but knocking on doors and saying, can I write your restaurant review? You are right. absolutely the first. <laughs> I'm glad to be there. <laughs> so from there to to your story and in between you were an actress and a singer and a poet and a million things and now an author how did it go oh right so i i was always interested in writing poetry and i did write poetry <clears throat> and and i took classes and workshops and finally i decided i was working in the city for a publicity firm and i said uh the poetry society of america is located there and I said, I would like to join them and learn, you know. So I applied and you had to send like 10 copies of, of no, four copies of 10 poems, which I did. And then I hung at the mailbox and waiting, did it come? Did it come? Did they reject me? Blah, 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 blah. And it finally came and I was accepted. I was thrilled at that. And I continued writing and and I had many poems published in trade in small, um, I don't know if you call them trade publications, but they were from the, the poetry writing mm -hmm. directory and many were published and then many won awards also. CW Post, Confrontation, I got a second prize for one of my poems and many, many other poems. And um, what else can I tell you? Where is it? The writing. Um, eventually, Eventually, along the line, I met a wonderful man called now my husband. Michael, now, he was he became my husband. We lasted fifty wonderful years, That's and with that, let me take a sip. Go right ahead. While you're pausing, I have a question because you mm -hmm. sing and you write and you write poetry. Have you ever written songs? I tried. Really? I tried. Yeah, but I had. I wrote something, but it turned out to be a song that was written already. How do you oh, like that? That happens. <laughs> no, that happens. I mean, we're all part of the, the entire collective unconscious. Sometimes right. it's very hard not to write something that's already been written. <laughs> true, true. Funny. So, but yeah. I've enjoyed music. And at one point I became, I became a singer, but that was later. And in my memoir, I tell the story about that. But um where was I? I was writing and writing and then uh, acting was always a um a love of mine mm -hmm. and I went to the high school of performing arts but along the way I got diabetes and my sugar got me very high so it, my energy dropped and I had to leave there mm -hmm. and then but I kept up with my acting I took a workshop and I learned a lot it was great fun and um and then when I had met my husband and Actually, I, I began looking for a husband 
all the people my age were, and we called it husband uh, hunting. And <laughs> East, East Hampton was a big place that you'd go. And I rented a share there. And then I was walking down the beach one day and I hear, hey, she looks like a tennis player. And I turn around, turn around and bat my eyes. Who, me? And that was the beginning of it. And we dated and it, we, we dated. We had a great time. And that was the beginning. And um, I, 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 I love the way you're describing husband hunting out in the Hamptons. You know, now kids, uh, you know, young people have Tinder or Grinder, and they swipe left and swipe right. <laughs> you used to walk along a beach in the Hamptons husband hunting. It's just such a fabulous view of a different era. I love that. Yeah, a different era is right, right. Yeah. So, um, and then we I took classes. And during this time, Herb and I were dating, and we knew at one point that we loved each other and we decided to get married. There's a wonderful piece of there about the wedding. But you see, along the way, my parents had separated when I was 11 years old. Very difficult to get these two people to come together, even at the marriage. Mm. And my mom said she was paying for the, it was a low key, inexpensive deal. And she says, if I'm paying for the reception, I will not allow your dad to be, your dad, that woman, his wife, he's, wife who he was living with to be there and it was very tough but I was seeing a psychiatrist at that time and I spoke to her about it and she said you tell your dad that he's your only father it's this is your hopefully only wedding and you would like him to be there and that's what I did I told him that we had the wedding a Jewish wedding with a they call it a huppa over which brings the people together and shows that the husband has to do um has to obey certain rules actually that was an old era right mm -hmm. um and then we everything was there everything was ready and then all of a sudden downstairs was it at a temple I see this man coming up it's my father he did show up without the woman and I was so thrilled to see him it oh. was the best I really wonderful and then um he also gave me, he told, pulled me aside at the end and he told me, um, she doesn't know, but I saved some money and mm -hmm. I want you to have it. And he handed me a little white envelope with the money. I didn't see oh. it was money, but you know, I knew it was. And when I got home, I, I opened it. It was, it was, I was just so thrilled that he was there for me. That's wonderful. And, and that was it. And then Herb and I had wonderful years. We traveled. He was a golfer. Uh, what did I do? I like to act. I like to write. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then eventually, after the wedding, oh, yeah. So these wonderful years. And then, and then, unfortunately, the last 10 years, he developed Parkinson's disease. And I cared for him. And it was a total caretaking operation. And he was wonderful. And he had his mind through the end. Parkinson's de uh, depletes your nuts, muscle and nerve coordination. Mm -hmm. But he was pretty good up until the end. And at the end, he died not of Parkinson's, but of a heart disease. So that was it. And then at the end, I said, what am I going to do? Because being a caretaker, you're totally involved. I was totally involved in him. What, am I, what can I do now? And I, I thought about it. And I said, well, I like writing. And I met with my friends. And they suggested, well, first of all, you should make a party. Oh, I was going to be 50 years old. You should make a party. Okay, I made a party with my friends and I had a ball. It was just wonderful. And then I said also, what am I going to do now? 
And my friend said to me, you write poems. You're a writer. Write. Mm. And that's what I started to do. And I took workshops in writing and memoir writing a workshop. And I found this wonderful teacher. And she said, do you, who needs a publisher? And I said, I do. Oh. And she put me together with this beautiful lady here, this oh. wonderful lady. Right. And that was it. And then, you know, so I was writing my memoir and, and I came in contact with Stephanie. And that's basically it. And I, I'm very I happy I've done that. Oh, well, thank you for sharing such a beautiful love story with us. Thank you. Honestly, thank you. such a beautiful love story. Valleys and Mountains, you definitely want to read this story. Uh, you've heard about the valleys, the high points, the careers, the love, and some of the struggles. And we all have those mountains and valleys. Our next author. Thank Richard you, Stephanie. Sparks. Oh, you're welcome. Our next author, Richard Sparks, is the author of New Rock, New Roll, When the Gaming World Meets Epic Fantasy. And our author writes, the perfect blend of the gaming world and epic fantasy with millions watching on live stream, Dax and his teammates, Crystal and Grell, win the role-playing games, RPG Grand Championship. But winning the game was a piece of cake compared to what comes next. Dax wakes up to find out he's turned into his own avatar and is in the middle of a wilderness he doesn't recognize. Armed with a crappy sword he has no idea how to use and dressed in beginner level gear, he must figure out how to survive quickly because he can already hear the bloodthirsty howls of wild animals from the jungle that surrounds him. Thus starts a fantastic epic fantasy adventure. Once the three friends finally find each other, they need to puzzle out their new world gain skills, combat enemies, and make alliances with all kinds of characters and creatures from the different territories of this new world in order to survive. Please welcome fantasy writer Richard Sparks. So nice to have you. Nice to be here, Stephanie. Thank you for having me. Uh, I, I have to ask you, are you a gamer yourself? To write? Yes, I am. I fell in love with role-playing games in about the early 2000s. Um, they've just some wonderful worlds that the designers and developers have created for us. Oh, yeah. And one day I was, well, I was actually on a, a player versus player with you know, these earphones on with 24 people in my group all over the world, galloping around, making mischief. And we started <laughs> discussing, I said, what would it actually be like to be this guy? You know, my, my young avatar was a heroic battle mage who could heal and blast and cause damage. And well, there's only one way to find out, and that was to write it. Mm -hmm. and the idea just fell out of my head. I started writing you know, that the next day, finished, the, finished that book in two months. So oh, this, look, it's yeah. 500 pages, 160,000 words. I mean, it's been through a lot of um, editing with my editors, two editors. Two uh, months, 160,000 words? Yeah, it was extraordinary birthed. My wife, who's an artist, said she married Richard because she knew I'd leave her alone. But she said, <laughs> she's a New Yorker too. And she said... Um, after I finished, came out from that, she said, you know, for the first time in 40 years of marriage, I actually felt lonely the last couple of months. I was just <laughs> into it. And then um, I sent it to my agent and she said, this is exactly what people want. And, uh, you know, it's escapism and fun. There's a lot of comedy in it. Uh, and I said, well, I'm already halfway through book two. She said, oh, great. Three book deal. I said, oh, it's three now, is it? Actually, I've now <laughs> written four. I'm in the fifth. 
No. I just just this morning had the the breakthrough in the fifth because I've been floundering around in the beginning. You often start in the wrong place and get lost. In fact, in book four, the first chapter I wrote ended up not being the first chapter in the book, but I think chapter thirteen. So it gets it, you know you know you, you guys know it, it, no, absolutely. absolutely. You've got to keep your options open, as as um, as um, Gerald was saying. You, you you've got to let the story lead you. Uh, you can't just plan it out like they'd like us to do in, in movie and script writing. Exactly. Um, so it's just, I just got taken over by this. So I've hardly had time to play any games at all. I, but the odd, I was going to ask you if you still have time to play games. No, no, I'm just busy writing. I, I say I'm writing my own, but it's not a game. It's a real, they find themselves whisked off to a real world for a real reason. They've got to survive in order to discover what happened to them and why. It's all explained. Um, but it's just such fun to have an, an entire world to myself to explore yeah. and coming as from a background as a comedy writer the the meshing between comedy and adventure it's i mean that comedy is not a nice people telling jokes that's a dinner party comedy <laughs> is fear and pain and misery things going wrong disasters agony and uh, people falling into puddles uh, <laughs> and what good adventure doesn't have all that in it so uh, you, you know, there's a, and a lot of British comedy, fantasy, is, is quite comedy heavy. I mean, Douglas Adams is my exact contemporary. I was a friend of his since um, student days. And his books are funny. Terry Pratchett's are funny, uh, <laughs> as well as being proper adventures. Uh, so I was able to, you know, uh, utilize my funny bone. And <laughs> I just had a blast doing it. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. I'm so lucky to have found this, this whole, um, my bliss as a writer. But, oh. My great age, and people have been coming to me. Oh, you know, I get a lot of interviews about the older gamer, because every I thought kid, everyone online was a kid until one of my guildmasters said, "I'm retiring. I'm going to be 85 next week. Does anyone want to take over?" And she was a really good guildmaster. So I didn't, not me, but but 85. That's pretty good. <laughs> I suddenly realised that everyone is doing it, and there've been lots of interviews about the older gamer and and. Uh, you know, there's a woman called Skyrim Granny. I think she's called Shirley Curry from Ohio. Mm -hmm. She's 84, 85. She's got over a million and a half followers on YouTube watching her play a game. And uh, she's charming. <laughs> so, uh, and anyways, Alan, you were talking about uh, reality and politics. That's not Alan, Gerald. Gerald. Um, uh, you were talking about, uh, you know, reality. Uh, sometimes you've got to escape from it. <laughs> Reality is pretty, pretty scary these days. Well, well, Richard, I'm I'm impressed that there's a whole set set of you know, eighty five year olds who can't even send a text message, and yet we have <laughs> these who are all gamers with hundreds of thousands of followers. This is quite a. I, I could I can use a computer and I can shout at it when it goes wrong, but I have no idea how to fix it. So <laughs> I have I have to call my daughter. You know, she's a techie, luckily. <laughs> But you found the button for playing games, and I love that. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, the designs are incredible. The problem with games is the writing. Because they're constrained by the limits of the game, they have to write quests that people can get their, hang on, their, their hands on pretty easily. Whereas if you're writing narrative, you know, in 500 pages, you can take people the long way around. Right. And you can, you know, half my books are, what the hell is the quest quest? Just like um, Gerald was saying with, with Preacher. People only understood it on the last page, or figured it out on the last page. That's a good, that's a classic whodunit if you've managed to pull that off. Exactly. But it, as you go along with my stories, you, more and more unfolds and you go, well, look, the answer's staring me in the face, but what is it? And so that all that 
puzzle playing is you can do in much more depth in a book than you can uh, in a, in an actual game. So it started as one book. Yeah. Your agent wanted three books. Have you're up? You're up to four books. I finished we... four. Um, I'm still editing uh, with uh, Leslie Robin, our wonderful editor at Kasich. She's absolutely brilliant. And her first note on the book, when Kasich picked me up and offered to publish me, uh, it's about a year and a half ago. They set up a Zoom call with my agent, with Leslie, the uh, the editor and the publisher. And I just realized that there was an email from her that had arrived five minutes before the Zoom. I was in Texas at the time for some reason. And um, I thought, I better open this. <laughs> and I read her notes on the first six pages. And they were just brilliant. And I've done a ton of script editing. I'm oh. like, uh, like Gerald, I'm Hollywood adjacent. And I've been in a script writing business since the 70s. Okay. And her first note was, I mean, she explained down the side in great length why she took this approach. And she was coming up with suggestions. And one <laughs> thing she came up with, cut the first line of the book. And I went, mm. that's brilliant. She said, that's your first, that, that's a great first line. The second line, that's it. You don't need the, the little setup before that. And I thought, I'm in good hands here. Oh, well, thank you for a big shout out. Editors need shout outs. I love oh, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and Edi anybody... Editing is where you get the gold. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's where you, I like that, where you get the gold. And if you gave her 160,000 words, she had to really, you know, you have a good <laughs> editor there. Yeah, well, I mean, she's, you know, the moment she finished, she said, I can't wait to read the next one and get stuck into that, which was nice. But she was really thorough, coming up with all sorts of fabulous, I need more of that. I want more. That's a really great character there, that inanimate object. You know, you've started bringing it to life, make it a real relationship, you know, really insightful. And, and it's it's so good to have a good editing relationship. Oh, fantastic. Um, and, I, and I've been on both sides of the table, you know. Oh, have you? Do you edit as well, Richard? No, script editing, a lot of yeah, script editing. editing right. Um, yeah. Yes. Well, you you West Coasters over there, that's for sure. <laughs> well, in in the BBC and ITV in London in the old days, I was oh I was okay. sort of I was sort of a shadow. You know, the producers would send me stuff and say, "Can you fix this?" Mm -hmm. Because without putting your name on it, because the writer had done it and was overwhelmed with the rest of the series, and gotcha. the producer didn't know what to do. So I would come, I would give it a polish and send it off, and the, everyone was happy. Yeah. <laughs> we we've had authors on before who had worked on a game and they actually wrote like the whole world within the game and then decided well, to transfer it to a book but yours goes in a very different direction that you're you're you you know not reenacting what happened in the game hmm. but it's actually reactionary about what happened. yeah it, it's completely you know i i was just inspired Yes, by exactly, being in the game exactly. to do it. Very but different end. I've never heard that before, and that's a wonderful. It, it is a new approach, and I'm really lucky to have found it. That, but if you look, think about all the literature, it, not just in English, but in, oh, going back to Gilgamesh, for heaven's sake, it's all fantasy fiction. Mm. The Arabian Nights, the Thousand One Nights, fantasy fiction, flying carpets, and you know, thieves and open sesame, and Beowulf, the first great uh, work in our language even though the language has changed, it's rather difficult to read now. Uh, it's, you know, this is a dragon and a horde of treasures and a hero who uh, dives to the bottom of the lake to beat up the monster's mother. Uh, it's, you know, it's wonderful stuff. The Fairy Queen, half of Shakespeare's fantasy. Um, and then the 19th century explosion of the, the Gothic and then the 20th century for science fiction. Uh, yeah. it, it's, it's really a, a very, you know, you can do more in fantasy than you can in reality. Mm, absolutely. Richard, you were talking about the older gamer. And, yeah. you know, I, I often ask 
who is your, you know, target reader for this book? Is this a book for younger gamers, older gamers, or all gamers? Or what would you say, who should I buy this on my list for? Ah, well, at the book launch, we had a, a guest who was in London, and we had a guest from America who's 83, and she was one of my test readers, and we had one of our neighbor's kids who's 12, he's very precocious, 12, Londoner, mm -hmm. and he absolutely loved it too. And so it, it appeals to anyone. It's anyone just who likes a damn good, you know, rollicking good yarn with a bit. And and one of my test readers, who's a producer here in town, when I, the fourth book, I, when I had lunch with her to get her notes, she said, "I read it. In a, I read it in two days over the weekend, and that's over five hundred pages." Oh my god! So just to just to keep the page turning, to me, story structure is is the mark of a writer. That's what I really, really respect, and I think that like uh, Gerald coming out of the script writing business, story structure is king. Mm. If you can't do story structure, you don't get the job. Right, right. And uh, Gerald, how about you? If we're talking about um, who should be buying your book, who are you seeing as kind of your ideal reader? Maybe, maybe from what you've known from the past and such. So I would know if I were going shopping today, who on my list am I buying a copy of this for? Well, I, I just briefly want to respond to what Richard was saying about sure. um, structure and and drama, and that I believe that even even more than my business background, uh, my background as an actor mm. uh, really informed my my and I you know I did yes I studied screenwriting at UCLA and uh, and and also I, I auditioned at Juilliard. I auditioned for John Houseman, and he said, "Why should you become an actor?" And I, I thought that was a serious question. And I answered it, but <laughs> but I began to realize that that if I was a writer, I could play all the parts, and I wouldn't have to wait for them to come to me. And that was really something of a revelation because it was frustrating. I mean, I very early in Summerstock, I realized, oh, it's so much more fun to play the bad guy. I thought it was a hero, you know, that's, that was a revelation. Um, so, but as far as who would read, you know, it's interesting with this series because you might think, okay, Christian fiction, I was raised a Southern Baptist. I was, I was a student minister. Now you'd say, maybe I'm like Evan, I'm, I'm a doubter on some days. I'm a new ageist. I'm a, I don't know as, but uh, that's one of the things that makes him an interesting main character is that he's a he's very much a doubter. He's very much of a flawed person. He you know, he's got a problem with on and off with alcohol. He was taking oxy for his back. He can't hang on to, you know, a relationship. You know, and here he is uh, in the beginning. He's, he's a guest preacher. He's come back because, you know, he, he dropped out of Harvard Divinity and MIT astrophysics. But in the, but in the beginning, um, he's just basically a data driller. He's doing skip tracing, you know, uh, deadbeat chasing for the car dealer. But he's an interesting character because he's got an arc. He's got a he's got a journey from here to there. And you know, he's that's I think that's one of the reasons people come to him is they they recognize that he is not holier than thou or above them or talking down to them or condescending. He's not giving them a Bible lesson. Often is not when he's like a skip tracer. the The thing that drives the Ford dealer crazy is Evan often does a negotiates a win win situation that he didn't think of. Is mm -hmm. you know, he goes after this one? Says, "Get that Mustang! I, I want that Mustang back." Well, he finds out that she's been mustered out of the U.S. Army, uh, Fort Leonard Wood, and uh, it was her boyfriend who drove off in the car. She had only co signed for him. She doesn't have a car. 
<laughs> and and he's driving the loner over to Syria. The loner's, you know, got dents in the side. It's this big, beat up gray, you know, gray focus. And 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 he says, well, could you drive this to work? And she says, sure. He says, can you afford $50 a month? He says, I'll get a ride home. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I would hope that Christian people would delight in this and the fact right. that, again, answer the question why does it i mean it was it was um reverend Schuler, i think it was who was like iron pillared people why do bad things happen to good people yeah he had a whole book about it um i was taken to billy graham revivals when i was you know this high and you know i don't think there was a more sincere man on the planet i i don't think some that have come after him have agreed come to that <laughs> level say um i don't think we should be praying for apocalypse in Israel so Jesus will come sooner uh, <laughs> but then but that but then again I mean what that was one of the things we get to in the book is that Evan says well you know he one of the things he studied in divinity school's book of revelation mm -hmm. and the book of revelation was not accepted by the catholic church for centuries right it wasn't even part of the bible I have visited Patmos, which is where it was supposedly written by St. John the Divine. That is a sea-swept Greek island that is friggin' cold most of the year. Okay? <laughs> and you have to hike a mile up to the peak to where this cave presumably is. It's a tourist destination now, so is it the real it cave? It is a tourist destination. Right. So, sure. But but you, you come there and you realize... Okay, here's John, John and his scribe, the guy who actually wrote it. So he didn't write it, he dictated it. Right, right. So here's John and his scribe hiding out in this cave. They're run, running from the Roman emperor. Meals are being smuggled up to them. Uh, they probably don't really get a meal a day. Mm. And it's so incredibly cold. And look at this cold, wet, weeping rock. And on top of that, you've got Christian not Christian, you've got Greek mystery schools of that era that were taking psilocybin as a psychoactive drug mm -hmm. for spiritual experiences. If anybody wrote the book of Revelation today, they'd go, that was a bad LSD trip. Why should anybody, <laughs> why should anybody base their future on this? I mean, yes, it's pretty clear. Oh, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's so, so much prophecy. Yes, the guy who wrote it was a Bible scholar. He knew how to pay off all the stories. That doesn't mean it's true. Love that. Love that uh, reading on that. And very, very interesting. <laughs> Merrily, I have a question for, for you. Forgive me. I know, I know <laughs> not what I do. <laughs> and, for, and, and for the rest of our guests here, too. Uh, we, we have so many people like yourself who want to get started writing. Now you got your start way back when, but what would you advise for people who want to start writing a book? You're our first time author on the show. So what advice would you give for a future first time author to get started on that first book? I, I would, thank you, Stephanie. I would say, write what you want to write, mm -hmm. find a workshop, check your libraries and see if there's a workshop that will allow you to bring your work, listen to, uh, and have it edited there by ed an editor, yeah. and listen to other writers, see what they're bringing in, listen to their work, and hear the criticism that they get. 
And it's it, it's marvelous to get yourself exposed that way. And if you can, if you want to share it with your friends, you can also and get some reaction there. The more the more you write and the more reaction you get, I find is very, very valuable. Absolutely. No, I, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that about sharing it. I know when for people first start writing and, and as our debut uh, author here on the show, I, I, I so appreciate your words of wisdom, but it is scary that first time you hand over a manuscript and you ask someone to read it, but the feedback you will be getting will be invaluable and it will make you a much, much better writer as well having other eyes on it. Uh, Richard, this is certainly not your first book, but uh, what would you share with us as kind of tips for first-time uh, writers? I'll just pick up on, on what was just said. Um, Merrily said? Mm -hmm. uh, right. Thank you. There's no graphic. I thought so. I just remember the first time I took a script into the, uh, a producer called James Gatwood, who was head of Southern Television. My agent got me in and said, James is one of the few people who'll give a young writer a break. I'd had a couple of credits. And it was an adaptation of a book. So I went in. I didn't think nothing about it. So I said, do you have a house style? You know, because I didn't really know what scripts looked like. So he gave me an outline and a book and a script done by another writer. So I went away, read the book, read the outline. Thought, oh, I can do this. No trouble. Did the outline. He gave me the gig. Then I wrote the script and I took it into his office for the meeting. I was really quite pleased with myself. I thought, done a good job. And he opened the, he said, oh, very good job. And he opened the page and it was covered in blue ink. I mean, lines everywhere, circles. I mean, it looked like a Rorschach blot. It had a blue oh, shit no. on it. It was extraordinary. And I felt my I felt like my stomach was being ripped out by weasels. But I knew better than to react. So I just, and we went through the script page by page and I took my notes and it was just an absolute sea of blue pencil. <laughs> and uh, I got my notes. I staggered out of there thinking, oh, God, well, you know, at least I'm being paid for this. Went home, fixed his notes, got the script back to him very fast. And the next script meeting, there were about eight notes and 30 pages of script. So the lesson is, do as you're told. The great Scottish comedian Billy Connolly was asked recently, what's the secret of a happy marriage? He's married to Pamela Stevenson, the writer, comedian. And uh, he said, do as you're told. And when you get an <laughs> editor who's good, you know, and you just, if I hadn't done what I was told, the, he would have given the job on to someone else. I'd never have got the rest of the series. I ended up writing the rest of the series with Gail Renard, who was later head of our Writers Guild for, for two, um, two terms. Fantastic. In, in and London. congratulations on that. That is just huge. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely you. huge. Great. Gerald, how about you? Some tips for our possible new writers out there what would you say to someone who's getting started on their first book well my first editor said put your butt in the chair every day <laughs> yes. and I, I that's that's a pretty good way to start i mean even if you feel discouraged don't get up and i mean they say writers have very clean houses you know yeah. and 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 as richard was saying about the secret of happy marriage you have to convince your wife you're you're working when you're staring out the window yeah that's neil peart the drummer yeah, from exactly Rush. exactly Great so, so so yes and then i would say also not don't, don't be afraid to spew it out i mean i know that there's there's a lot of of um coaches and and instructors who will say just spew it out and and what and then, you know and then writing is rewriting and i don't 
always hold to that. I, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a great believer in trying to hear the voice mm. because if, and it, yeah, I, it's, you know, I mean, it's not m magical, but I mean, if if there is a character speaking in your head, or if there is something going on in terms of of it feels as though it's writing itself, respect that because even because one of the things that will happen is if you turn it over to an editor, particularly a copy editor, they're going to they're going to write they're trying to make high school English out of it. Okay, they're they're going to break it into the compound sentences into simple sentences. They're going to remove the passive voice. They're going to, I mean, and there are times when you need to use the passive voice because you don't want to really say who's doing it. That's what the passive voice is for. So, I mean, there are ways of following the rules and way to break the rules. But I would say it's a matter of kind of you know, being again, being in touch with that subconscious, whatever it is that is your, and finding your voice. Yes. You know, I had a collaborator who, want, again, Hollywood, right? You know, Hollywood's full of collaborators. And, um, and, and this particular collaborator happened to be female. And, you know, it's just let's talk, well, you know, well, I don't, you know, I don't think we can, I don't think we can uh, go forward unless we collaborate. And I said, I don't think Mrs. Mozart ever wrote a note of his stuff. <laughs> And I, and, I, and I apologize. I said, I know that's a mean thing to say, but I don't, but I'm, but he was trying to find his voice. I'm trying to find mine. Right. And I guarantee you, if I had gone into that, I might be richer today because I would have, you know, an award-winning series. But the other thing I think that's really marvelous in Hollywood these days is just the whole way that streaming has affected the form mm. is that now we don't have to have feature films that condense everything into two hours. We can have 13 episodes of which, you know, each episode is one or two chapters and we can do some real character Absolutely. exploration and arc. And I've, I've said this before, uh, but, you know, I've never walked out of a movie theater and said, I really miss those guys. <laughs> but if I if I binge watch Succession, it's like there's a void in my life until I figure out. No, what no, to I totally that. get that, and and I love the differences of opinions for our new writers out there. Well, let me remind our readers out there where to get your books. Uh, Gerald Everett Jones, Preacher Stalls, The Second Coming. It's coming. It's coming soon. So uh, you'll you'll be finding it uh, just in in a matter of uh, a couple of weeks on March 5th, but you want to grab that and the other books in the Evan Wycliffe mystery series. Valleys and Mountains by Merrilee Kaufman. Such a personal and beautiful story. Learn more from this wonderful 50-year spanning love story and life of our author. And New Rock, New Roll by Richard Sparks. When you want to have gaming world meeting epic fantasy. This is book one. We heard there's a lot more here to come, so get started on this first one and then grab the others. And for my authors here, some of whom are, it's not your first time here, I can't wait to have you back on the show. So for all of you, happy writing. Thank you so much for joining me and thank you for being such an inspiration to our writers. Stephanie, my book is available on Amazon, Amazon and uh, Barnes and Nobles. Yep, it absolutely is. Thank you, Marilee. And okay, thank you to all of our writers.